Hey, everyone. Welcome to After the Last Dance. I'm your host, Russ Bankson. I'll be joined by co-host Alex Wong. Before we get started, I just wanted to give a shout out to the Soul Savvy team for giving Alex and I this space to chat about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Soul Savvy is a sneaker platform and community that provides you with the tools and resources you need to beat the bots and successfully purchase the products you want for retail. For more details, please check out soulsavvy.com. S-O-L-E-S-A-V-Y. Welcome back to After the Last Dance, another episode. We're going to uh, shout out to Vernon Maxwell, who inspired this one. Um, He tweeted at one point during the run, like, are we just going to ignore the fact that the Rockets won two titles in the middle of this? And, you know, my thought at first was like, yeah, we are, because this is about the Bulls and the Bulls didn't play in either of those finals. So I don't know how much of a point there is talking about it. But the more I thought about it, given that they did win those two titles in the middle of the Bulls' run, I mean, it's, it's something you kind of probably should address a little bit. So we're going to do that. Yeah, and, and you know, in, in looking up and refreshing my memory on those two championship runs, and we'll get into the details, I mean, especially that run in 94-95, they beat the top four teams in the regular season in the playoffs. So like it was one of the most remarkable runs and we'll talk about the way that they did it too. Um, you know, the series against Phoenix and obviously I think most people do remember the sweep, uh, you know, against Shaq and Penny in, in the finals, but let's start with the 93, 94 season. So, you know, in last dance chronology, this is the year where Michael um, coming off a three peat announces his retirement and is playing baseball. And Scotty Pippen is having an MVP like season with the bulls. So, for those of, those of you listening, you might be wondering, where were the Houston Rockets during the Bulls' first three-peat? Um, you know, for all the talk about the what-if of Bulls versus Rockets, well, why didn't the Rockets, um, you know, make the finals those years? So from 1988 to 1991, the Rockets lost in the first round for four consecutive seasons. In 92, they missed the playoffs, and that was when head coach Don Chaney was replaced midseason by Rudy Tomjanovich. So in 93, as the Bulls are making their run to play Phoenix and complete their three-peat in the finals, the Rockets won 55 games, but lost in the second round in seven games to the Seattle Supersonics. It was an overtime loss in game seven. So the 93-94 season is when the Rockets get off to an NBA record tying 15-0 start in the regular season. They finished 58-24. The key players on that team were Hakeem Olajuwon, Vernon Maxwell, Otis Thorpe, Robert Ory, Kenny Smith, Mario Ellie, Sam Cassell. What do you remember about this squad, Russ? God, I mean, you know, it was a good mix. You know, it, it was a mix that got built slowly. It got built through the draft. I mean, Hakeem Olajuwon, you know, that's, a, that's the funny part of going back to the last dance. It's like we see Akeem Olajuwon get drafted number one overall ahead of Jordan in 84, and then he just kind of disappears. And, you know, just that switch from Akeem Olajuwon, who didn't use the H in his name and was quite angry and got into fights and had his NBA superstars video set to Cool Mo D's How You Like Me Now, which is still one of the most amazing things ever, you know, kind of become this I mean eventually became an elder statesman of the game I want to call him like a statesman of the game though even when he was younger and obviously the dream shake and you know not to get ahead of ourselves but I will a little bit you know in 94 when he's named MVP and like he just takes people apart 
whether offensively or defensively. You know, here's a guy who's like, and I don't know if they ever actually figured it out. Was he 6'9", 6'10", something like that? He wasn't seven feet. And, but he ran the floor like a guard and, and just dismantled other centers. You know, and then you add in this mix of guys, whether it's the young guys like Cassell and Ori or the middle dudes like Kenny Smith, who was out there, <laughs> I don't want to say entirely Jordan-esque, but the dude went to North Carolina and was competing in dunk contests. So, you know, Mario Eli, who is a streetball guy in New York, you know, underdog. But they were, they were, they were a tough squad. Yeah, you know, they, they had a lot of guys that uh, were, were easy to root for. Um, you know, I was a big fan of Mad Max growing up. And, you know, this was, you know, young Sam Cassell hit some big shots in these games too. So just just for you uh, youngsters, you know, Cassell's been letting his nutsack hang since the mid-90s is what I'm trying to say. The Olajuwon thing is interesting because, you know, I think we all know his uh, accolades and, and credentials. And I don't think anyone is saying that, you know, he's been forgotten in history. But it just feels like, it always feels like he's like perpetually underrated, if that makes sense to you. Like, it feels like you will talk about other guys um, at his position or in his era more. You know, obviously, I think, you know, Shaq, um, you know, his resume speaks for himself, but Shaq was more of a brute force, more in your face, whereas Hakeem on both ends of the floor was more finesse. And I don't know if that was a thing that maybe was a detriment uh, to some of these conversations when, when you talk about all time greats, but I just always feel like he gets mentioned, but not put on a pedestal by people. I feel like the comparison's been made and, and was made back then to a degree that Shaq was basically Wilt and Akeem was Bill Russell, you know? Akeem was the guy who could, you know, use his defense to trigger the offense and run the floor. And, you know, he wasn't going to be the guy to go out there and tear down backboards like Shaq was doing or, you know, put up those 50-point, 25-rebound nights or something like that. But he was a guy who just got the job done at both ends of the floor and you couldn't do anything with him. Yeah. Um, and Charles Sim being a, a former member of the Toronto Raptors. Um, so 1994. Yeah, that is a Coachella. Um, 58 wins in the regular season for the Rockets. So like I mentioned, they had been in the playoffs, but you know, hadn't gotten over the hump. So here's their playoff run. Um, in the first round, they win in four games over the Blazers. And then it gets interesting in the second round. They go up against the defending Western Conference champions at the time, the Phoenix Suns. This is the Charles Barkley, uh, Kevin Johnson team. So the Rockets blow with home court advantage. They blow the first two games at home. And in both games, they give up fourth quarter leads, especially devastating in game two. They went into the fourth quarter up 18 points and were outscored 26 to 8 in the fourth and went on to lose 124 117 in overtime and this is when the local newspapers dubbed the rockets choke city um so they're down 2-0 but they go on to win the next three games and end up eliminating the suns at home in seven uh which at the time uh, i'm sure must have felt like um getting over a hump uh for the rockets who had lost so many times in the playoffs yeah and i think just knocking out you know, the, the defending Western Conference champions, especially in a, a year when, obviously, without Jordan, the Bulls are going to be different. So, you know, you're, you're probably looking at it a little bit differently than you do in a normal season where it's like you really want to match up against last year's champion. I mean, the Suns were the team that had the best record the previous season in the NBA. So, you know, that's, that's definitely 
getting to where you want to be. And, and credit to the Rockets, though, for not slowing down at that point, you know, and going in and just like rolling over the Jazz in the conference finals. Yeah, they, they rolled over the Jazz in the conference finals 4-1. to one. So this sets up the finals matchup between the Rockets and the Knicks. So here's what I think most people remember about that series. The Rockets win that series in seven games. They win game six and seven at home after falling down 3-2. Game five is when we get the split screen of the OJ White Bronco chase, which they have literally done an entire 30 for 30 on, if anybody wants to check that out. Uh, John Starks is two for 18 in game seven, including 0 for 11 from three in a 90 to 84 loss. I'm sorry, Knicks fans. I know you got ripped on during... Uh, after the after you got ripped on during the last dance during after the last dance and during after after the last dance what else should we remember is there anything else we should remember about that series russ i mean that was that was just the ultimate in pat riley loyalty kind of going wrong you know it's like starks was the guy who got you there starks obviously a volume shooter who's one of those guys who thinks no matter how many shots they've missed the next one's going to go in and in this particular case the next one just never went in and, you know, credit to him for keeping on shooting. I mean, I, I feel like, unfortunately, you know, given hindsight, it's like maybe at some point you start going inside to Patrick Ewing instead of launching still because, you know, while it's going on, maybe you think the next one's going to go in, but maybe after you're 0 for 8, 0 for 9 from 3, you just say, you know what, this isn't my night. They'd also brought in Rolando Blackman, after a heck of a career with Dallas to provide sort of, you know, this shot shooting off the bench and they just never went to it. And if you don't do that in game seven of the NBA finals, I don't know when you're ever going to do that. Yeah. And you know, this would have been just such a great ending for the Knicks, you know, after all their battles with the bulls, uh, Jordan retires and they beat the bulls in the second round and could have, you know, gotten the championship that they have been seeking for so long but instead um you know in the first uh jordan retirement year it's the rockets who win the championship so we move on to the 94 95 season and again um in the context of the last dance this is a season where michael would eventually come back towards the end of the regular season wearing number 45 and the bulls would lose to the orlando magic in the second round so in refreshing my memory for this, I mean, this has to be one of the most impressive playoff runs ever. Um, you know, I remember watching it at the time and, and, you know, obviously soaking in some of the key moments. But, man, so here, so here are the stats for these Rockets. They only finish 47 and 35 during the regular season. They're the sixth seed. And a key addition that they made to their roster was trading for Clyde Drexler at the trade deadline. So reuniting him with um, Olajuwon because they, they were college teammates. And here's the context for their playoff run. So they are the first six seed to ever win a championship. They don't have home court advantage in any of the rounds. And here are the teams that they beat. Utah, who was 60 and 22. Phoenix, 59 and 23. San Antonio, 62 and 20. And I mean, by record, the worst team that they played were the Shaq, Penny, Orlando Magic, 57 and 25 in the finals. And the way they did it too was just so dramatic. I honestly need like a three-hour DVD for this. So let's start with the first round. So it's a five-game series. They beat the Jazz in five games, 3-2. They are down 2-1. And Drexler has 41 points in game four at home to help them stave off elimination. And then Olajuwon has 33 and 10. Drexler has 31 and 10 in 
Utah for a deciding game five, 95 to 91 win. Man, so, you know, um, if I'm a Jazz fan, I'm not just mad about those finals losses to the Bulls. Like, Hakeem stopped them a few times, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think you do get a lot being the defending champs. I mean, if you look back, and obviously the Bulls being the most extreme example of it, but, you know, I almost feel like in some cases winning that second title is easier than winning the first. Because winning the fir- part of winning the first is convincing yourself you can do it. And when you're defending your title, you've already done that part. You're already going in as the champs. I mean, the thing to me that is the most impressive, though, is in this particular case for the Rockets, you're going into every series as the champs without home home court advantage. So you kind of have like these multiple targets painted on your back. You know, I think Drexler was obviously a great addition. I mean, not only had he played with Olajuwon in college, but, you know, he had led the Blazers to multiple finals and not broken through. So, you know, for him, I don't even know who the equivalent is on Chicago, but, you know, whether he's like sort of their non-psychotic Dennis Rodman character, where it's like, you know, a guy who was an opponent you're now going to rely on to help you get where you want to go or where you want to get back to looking at it on paper. There's no way they should have defended their title. No. And especially when we get to the second round. So it's a rematch with the Suns once again, and this time the Rockets are down three, one, and they have to win three straight, not only three straight, but two of them in Phoenix. So in game five facing elimination down three, one in Phoenix, they win in overtime. Um, Olajuwon has 31 and 16. And honestly, if you just want to pull up Hakeem Olajuwon box scores from like this playoff run, like they are ridiculous. Um, Kenny Smith has five threes, which possibly could have set the NBA record at the time, to be honest, um, in that game for 21 points. They win game six at home. So they force a game seven on the road. And this is where Mario Eli famously hits his kiss of death three. He hits a three to break a tie towards the end of the game and uh, blows a kiss to the crowd. And uh, just one of the all-time epic moments, to be honest. And again, this is two years removed now from Charles Barkley being in the finals. And they have also been eliminated by the Rockets in back-to-back years. And in this game seven, Kevin Johnson, 46 points. Barkley, 18 points, 23 rebounds, and five assists. But, you know, this pretty much ends, you know, the the Barkley Suns era. And, I mean, I, I went back and watched some of the clips from game seven and from game five, too. This is one of the wildest playoff series and playoff comebacks ever. I mean, God, I mean, talk about backs being against the wall, you know, and coming down from back from 3-1 at all, you know, ask the, uh, ask the Warriors about that. You hear about it forever. To have to do that and then not even be, you know, you still have two more series to go. Again, ones that you're not going to have home court advantage in. I mean, just the, just the pressure throughout this whole thing. And, and it also like, man, you, you can make an entire Tempart documentary about Charles Barkley's playoff tragedy, you know, cause again, in the, in the, after the last dance thing, we get that brief look at the, the John Stockton shot over Charles Barkley, then a Houston rocket that gets the jazz to their first finals. Like, man, I mean, Charles found himself on the court for some, a lot of historic moments in the playoffs that didn't involve his team winning. 
Yeah, all I'm saying is, if, you know, if you if you put all kinds of bets on the 95 Rockets, you probably came out a multimillionaire because, you know, just from betting on them to win the championship, betting on them to win these series, probably betting on them live when they're down 3-1, uh, you know, in the series against Phoenix. And then we go on to the Western Conference Finals. And, you know, this is, at the time, I'm sure you remember, this was uh, pitted as a Hakeem Olajuwon versus David Robinson, you know, Rockets, Spurs in the Western Conference Finals. And, you know, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, Olajuwon dominated david robinson and you know the the rockets won in six games i don't think david robinson has gone back to watch much of this series i mean then again david robinson is certainly not michael jordan and is probably the polar opposite of him a lot of ways so who knows maybe he actually has gone and watched some of this maybe he sends akeem olajuwon cards for congratulations on the anniversary every year but uh yeah i mean it was an utter dismantling this was the year that uh Robinson was MVP, right? Yeah, yeah. So this was similar to kind of the Jordan Malone narrative that would come later and that showed up in the last dance. Um, I don't know if Olajuwon, you know, took it personal or not. It looks like it uh, based on the stats. But yeah, Olajuwon averaged 35 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists, and 4.2 blocks per game in the series um, and just monster performances. Uh, the road team actually won the first five games of the series before um, the Rockets clinched it on their home court. So now it sets up the finals matchup between the uh, the Rockets and the Shaq Penny Orlando Magic. This is the Magic team that had knocked out the Bulls, you know, carried Horace Grant off the court at the United Center, beaten the Pacers in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, at the time, at least to me, it felt like, okay, like, you know, the Rockets had made this incredible run through the West, but, you know, who's going to beat this young Magic team? And, you know, it seemed like they were going to win game one. And, of course, Nick Anderson misses four free throws. He misses two free throws, gets the ball back, and gets fouled again and misses two more. Kenny Smith hits a three to send the game into overtime, which the Rockets steal game one. And the Magic just never recover. They they get swept. And this, I mean, you could play a lot of what-ifs. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Shaq doesn't leave for L.A. two summers later if uh, they win a championship here. Well, I mean, and that's why I even go further back to that Bulls Magic series. And, you know, if Jordan doesn't get the ball knocked away and the Bulls hold on and win that game, you know, how do the Magic react to that? You know, obviously the Magic, I don't want to call them fragile, but obviously they were still figuring a lot out. And that loss just really ended it for them right away. You know, it was kind of a, it was a four-game sweep, but essentially it was a one-game sweep. Essentially, that finals was just over. And, uh, you know, again, kudos to Akeem to take out David Robinson and Shaquille O'Neal in back-to-back series. I mean, it's kind of absurd what they were able to do and how they were able to achieve. And, you know, that was the famous, as you noted, Rudy Tomjanovich's never underestimate the heart of a champion when they won the, when they won the finals. Yeah, I mean, if you look at individual championship seasons, that might be the most impressive championship team of that era, even compared to all those Bulls teams. Yeah, no, I don't think, I honestly don't think there's uh, an argument for that um, for, for another team. And it's funny you mentioned that game one where Michael got stripped and, you know, the Magic took that game. So what you're saying is, I just want this on record, you're blaming Michael for the Bulls and the Rockets never meeting in the finals. 
Yes. Yes. hundred percent. And if Mike wants to take that personal and come back and play again (laughs) at 57, bring it on. Yeah. Look out for a, look out for an NBA 2K invite from uh, (laughs) MJ 23 tonight. Uh, So, so the Rockets win those back-to-back championships and this is why there's been so much discussion. You know, obviously the Bulls, um, you know, end up winning the next three championships after Michael comes back. And, you know, the two teams never meet in the finals. And to this day, there's been a lot of talk from both sides about how this would play out. So uh, I want to read you a couple of stats and and a few quotes, and and we can get into this what if. So from 91 to 93, the Rockets went 5-1 against Chicago, including 2-0 in the 92-93 season. And, you know, overall, Hakeem and Michael faced off 23 times in their career. Hakeem won 13 of them. And even if you only count the years where the Bulls won the championships, um, Hakeem's Rockets were 6-5 and five against the Bulls. So some quotes here. A uh, recent interview with Michael Lee of The Athletic, Rudy Tomjanovich said that Jordan did offer praise for what the Rockets had accomplished at the time. He said, quote, he gave our team great respect. He didn't feel like they could contain Hakeem. They just didn't have the personnel to do it. And he said he thought we were the team that gave them the most trouble. I think this is like the center of a lot of the arguments here in that, you know, people just assume that the Bulls would have had no answer for Hakeem. And I mean, in a way, I think they're right. But also the the Bulls did beat teams with centers. I mean, they swept um, Shaq's Magic uh, team in uh, 90, I'm losing my years now, 96. What's your thought? Because I think the two key questions that comes up all the time is who's going to guard Hakeem on the Bulls and who's going to guard MJ on the Rockets? Yeah, I mean, you know, and to go further, they did obviously beat the Knicks basically every single year with Patrick Ewing, who's another dominant center. We talked about this before we recorded, but, you know, I think something that hasn't come up with this is the um, that's why I took it personally quotient. And if you look at the Rockets, that is the team Michael Jordan would not have had to create anything. He would not have had to LeBradford Smith anybody. You know, Hakeem Olajuwon is the guy who was drafted number one overall the year he was drafted number three overall. So he could have taken that personally. Certainly the following season in 94-95 when the Rockets went out and got Clyde Drexler. I mean, Clyde Drexler obviously was the red flag for Jordan. So, you know, I, I think that would have been yet another thing to take personally. And then you get into the young guys like Ori and Cassell and Kenny Smith, who played under Dean Smith at Carolina. I, I think like with Chicago, with the Bulls of that era, it's really hard to look at things just on a X's and O's perspective and a personnel perspective. You know, I think a lot of it ends up going into that instead of X's and O's X factor stuff where it's like, how angry can Mike get? And how much does Mike feel like he has to show something to somebody? And I think against the Rockets, he probably would have had the most ammunition. And I guess the question then becomes, does that outweigh the fact that, no, they don't have anyone who could play Akeem Olajuwon and running Will Perdue and Bill Wennington and even, well, that's the thing, like it's errors. It wouldn't have been Dennis Rodman. But running like, yeah, running those guys at Akeem, I mean, those guys would have been lunch. Yeah, and you know, I don't want to discredit those Rockets teams, but 
this is a hypothetical and we could have played that hypothetical too with teams that the Bulls actually played in the finals. You know, you look at the Sonics, you know, if they never went up against the Bulls, I'm sure there could be arguments to be made of, you know, the problems that Sean Kemp and Gary Payton uh, would have given. And, you know, we might be talking about Vernon Maxwell defending uh, Michael in a potential final scenario, the same way we're talking about uh, Gary Payton um, and how much trouble he would give Michael. And how, you know, they had the three-point shooters to, to be able to spread the floor. Uh, same thing with the Jazz, too, right? Um, you know, if you want to talk about Carl Malone and John Stockton, and I'm sure, you know, uh, Jazz players, if they never made the finals, would have talked about Brian Russell was a very good defender. And, you know, he could have uh, contained Michael. So while I do think this uh, Rockets team would have given the Bulls a lot of problems, I'm with you on that X-Factor theory in that, you know, if you discount in, in, a, in any playoff series where Michael wore uh, tw- the number 23 in every single game, like he never lost a playoff series in the 90s. And I, I feel like as much as that is such a broad statement and such a stat that you can just use to, to argue for this side, it does feel like there was that X factor thing with Michael's teams that a lot of teams could not get over the hump with, you know, when they faced off against them, whether it was in the conference finals or the finals. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's still fascinating the fact that they never played each other during that eight year stretch, and that you had like only two teams won titles for eight years and they never played each other. You know, it's so unlike the the Lakers Celtics or anything like that. It's it's like ships passing in the night. You know, it's like is it really a rivalry if they don't play each other? And you can look at those regular season stats, and obviously not to say they don't matter. But I think once you got to the NBA Finals, all that stuff is out the window. You know, I remain fascinated by what would have happened if Hugh Hollins is assigned to a different playoff series in 93-94 and the Pippen-led Bulls make it to the Finals and play the Olajuwon Rockets. I think it's a better series than Knicks Rockets. I don't think it's as much of a, a slog. I think I'm, I get more upset when the – OJ Chase cuts into an actual finals game. I do think the Rockets probably still win because as great as that Pippen-led Bulls team was, I think the Rockets are similar sort of in the way they were constructed with the primary difference being their best player was prime Akeem Olajuwon, who was, again, I mean, ludicrous. I mean, Forget his points and rebound numbers. Like, look at his steal and block numbers. I mean, he was just a guy who literally did everything on the floor. Yeah, and, you know, I think another part of the argument that people have is, you know, which Rockets and and which Bulls team are we talking about, right? Uh, Matt Bullard, who was a a Rockets reserve, um, another great Coachella jersey, he said that, you know, if if the Sonics hadn't beaten the Rockets in 93, and that was the year that the Bulls completed their three-peat in the finals against Phoenix, uh, Matt Matt Bullard said they would have been the team that would have three-peated because they would have beaten the Bulls in 93, and then they would have won in 94 and 95. That would have been interesting. I think 93 would have been interesting. Um, like you mentioned, the, the Pippen year would have been interesting. And even the 95 year with Jordan wearing number 45 and, and coming back late in the season, I think that would have been a fascinating matchup if, if the Bulls had gotten to the finals that year. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, to go back to that Matt Bullard statement, that's something I would love to hand Michael Jordan an iPad with Matt Bullard saying that on it. 
primarily to see Mike laugh and then to see Mike ask who Matt Bullard is, there's honestly no way that Mike remembers who Matt Bullard is. Or if he does, he wouldn't acknowledge it. I think that's kind of insane to say that they would have beaten the Bulls in 93. I mean, I understand, like, again, you're going to ride for your team. But the Bulls in 93 were kind of at the peak of things, and they beat arguably the best team they played during their finals run. I mean, you're playing the, 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 the Suns with MVP Charles Barkley and who had a better record and thus had home court advantage. I mean, if the Suns couldn't beat the Bulls that year, I don't know if the Houston Rockets, who couldn't even get past the Seattle Supersonics, do. Respect for Matt Bullard for feeling that way. Um, I go back to one of these other quotes that you pulled from Robert Ori saying that Phil didn't like to double, so he wouldn't have doubled Akeem Olajuwon. I I feel like Phil was able to adjust, and I don't think he would just let Akeem Olajuwon feast on them. Again, I don't think like – I think he would realize fairly quickly that running Wennington and Purdue in single coverage at Akeem Olajuwon probably wasn't going to work. Yeah, and, you know, I think – I think I would concede the argument that Hakeem might have been the most talented individual player that the Bulls uh, would have had to handle. But again, I still go back to just how the Bulls were able to find ways to win, um, you know, in a seven game series format. It's funny, another, you know, Kenny Smith talked about this, uh, I believe it was recently, and, you know, he was very confident. He said, we would have beaten them without a question. And Scotty Pippen was asked about this on the jump, um, and he replied, you know, um, Kenny Smith uh, was the head of the snake. And he said something to the, to the account of, you know, I would have just taken him out. So I don't know, man, with these hypotheticals, um, you know, I find them interesting to argue about. But, you know, I think whatever opinion you have on, on one side, you can just stick to it based, based on the facts that work for that argument, right? Yeah, yeah. And again, like the fact that they never faced each other makes it fun to – talk about this stuff i mean it's ultimate like barbershop talk like what would have happened and we have no idea because they never did face each other would it have been interesting you know absolutely because the rockets were a different sort of team than the ones they did face i mean the bulls were fortunate to play against teams that didn't really have dominant centers you know their dominant players were somebody else you know look at the centers of every team they faced you know, you had like, God, I'm trying to think of who even they were. I mean, it's you had a young Vlade, Kevin Duckworth, who Doug West on the Suns, Jim McElveen on the Sonics, and then uh, Greg Ostertag on those rock on those jazz teams. I mean, you could say they they avoided Akeem, but they avoided David Robinson too. Yeah, no, that's fair. So you know, that is our comprehensive episode on, on the Houston Rockets. I feel like we should. Uh, when when this gets released, we got to ask Soul Savvy to, to tag Vernon Maxwell on it because this this is what he wanted. Um, I don't know if you have anything else to add, Russ, uh, about the Rockets. No. I mean, just that I think that shout out to Max in, uh, you know, bringing that even up and sort of giving us the impetus to, to take another look. And I mean, I, I think understanding the fact that we will never have a real answer to this until we can somehow, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? the Irishman style de-age Akeem and Jordan and everyone else and actually have this series happen. 
fortunately, I don't think that's a real possibility. I don't know, you know, if scientists can weigh in. If it if it does, everyone's in trouble because Jordan's just gonna play forever and he's gonna try and beat everyone in every NBA Finals ever. It would have been good to see, though. It would have been good to see. So that does it for us for this episode. Um, as always, you can find every episode of After the Last Dance on iTunes, Spotify, and any other podcast platforms that you use. want to give a shout-out, as always, to Soul Savvy for giving Russ and I this platform to chat about the Bulls and After the Last Dance and After After the Last Dance. And we will be back uh, on the next episode. And again, we do have sort of a list of things we want to cover. And, you know, obviously all things Bulls and Bulls adjacent from the Jordan era and the era immediately following. But we would like to hear what you guys think too. I mean, if there's anything else you want us to get into, I don't think it's even on our list, but if you want us to one episode, maybe go a little deeper into the flying cocaine circus of the pre-Jordan Bulls, I don't know. You name it. You can find both of us on social media pretty easily. So, uh, you know, give us a shout or even just let us know how we're doing. The sneaker game is tough if you're in it alone. Getting the latest pair of hype sneakers is becoming increasingly difficult these days. As soon as you try to purchase, the shoe is out of stock. If you want to improve your skills, you need to learn the tricks of the trade. Be smart and get equipped with the right tools and information you need to help you cop the sneakers you want. Soul Savvy, the exclusive sneaker community.